Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers G1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves and as per usual I am joined by my good friend to, to help guide me through all of the episodes that we are watching and will forever be watching at the rate we are going, that being Mr. Andy Hanley. How are you doing today mate? I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm the menace to your superior. Hey, you know what? I'll take that. I like Superior. <laughs> I will take that personally. <laughs> and I like Menasaur, so everyone's happy. There we go. And in terms of what we're going to be talking about today, everybody, we're, we're moving to a three-episode format for the next few weeks as we get in the run-up to the conclusion of Season 2 and we get to the movies. And if you have any thoughts you would like to convey about, be it where we've got to, past episodes we've watched, or forthcoming things we'll be watching... Do make sure you find us on social media. You can find our Twitter and Instagram accounts under the username StarscreamsPod. We've also got an email address, that being StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. And it's very likely that a lot of you are listening to this in audio-only form, be it through places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or maybe you've just taken the RSS feed and put it into your own app, as it were. Alternatively, there is a video version of this podcast, so if you want to actually see myself and Andy discussing all the episodes, go on YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and don't worry, I'm sure you will find our channel with very little issue, and you can find every single episode we have recorded to date, plus the bonus episode where we looked at a bunch of DVD extras from the Transformers Season 2 Part 1 DVD set so if you do want to see how we discuss and react to all of this you can indeed or as you pointed out last time we did the podcast andy if you want to see us actually recording during daylight hours because we're doing it once again you can experience how sunshine makes this a battle to try and make look good on camera yeah yeah this is like two two for two um in, in our recent recordings where we've got sunshine so um very unusual making the most of it yeah. little peek behind the curtain though at the time we're recording we're waiting for a named storm to hit the uk so who knows it may just turn incredibly dull and gray in a few minutes on camera for all we know <laughs> so we should yeah. <laughs> we should wait and see on that but in terms of what we are talking about today i mentioned we are talking about three episodes specifically today we are looking at season two episodes 41 to 43 from the Transformers G1 cartoon, as mentioned at the top of the show. The episodes in question today being Masquerade, Trans-Europe Express, and War Dawn. Some general overarching thoughts on this, Andy. These, this was a really fun, different set of episodes to watch through. It was a little bit of everything, and as it turns out, as I'm sure we're going to get onto when we get onto the episode in question... It turns out one of these episodes is incredibly significant to the entire continuity of the Transformers. Yeah, yeah, it is. I sort of, I remembered more and more of that episode as, as, I, as I went through and watched it because I had not remembered, like some other things with the show, I'd not remembered that this was sort of the origin point for that story because, you know, with, between the comics and all of the various kind of iterations of that and obviously all the, the toy stuff, sometimes it's hard to remember where things came from initially. And so, um, yeah, that was that was kind of an interesting, an interesting point of... Uh, uh, like an episode that I hadn't really explicitly remembered or thought about, but I had definitely seen a couple of times. Again, it, very much a heavily trafficked on VHS episode, so I wasn't particularly surprised that I'd seen it, but I was surprised how much of it I'd sort of forgotten until my memory was jogged. 
Yeah, because we should also make mention that the episodes that we discuss each time and the order that we're watching them in is actually based on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's a completely 100% legitimate way to watch all of the Transformers cartoon episodes, and so we're following the same ordering that's on there. To give a little bit of a of sort of a spoiler, if you will, the thumbnail for the episode in question, which we'll be getting onto later, as I mentioned, it actually reminded me. Oh, I remember that character design, but why do I remember it so vividly? And I couldn't remember until we watched it, but it, it is fun sometimes how those little moments just remind you, oh yeah, I've seen that before. I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, t totally. Um, and then, yeah, like beyond that, we're, we're, it's, it's a Stunticon carnival, uh, really, at the moment. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, this was the thing that was interesting to me is, you know, having talked on the last episode of the podcast about r having memories of the comics and the toys getting really big on the special teams as a promotional thing. Like, they really went all in on selling that to, to to kids and as mentioned last episode it worked on me because i bought a heck of a lot of them or rather <laughs> my parents bought a heck of a lot of them for me um but yeah i had not really kind of clocked how hard the cartoon also goes on that because at this point now they've introduced the stunticons and the aerial bots like they are almost the main characters in a lot of ways for these episodes like you know they take up a lot of the the airtime, uh, they take a lot of the focus, um, and even when we get our sort of deep lore, it's told through the lens of one of those groups. So, and looking looking ahead, I think that's kind of what we're in for for the remainder of season two. Like, it's all about those those special teams. So, yeah, like it shows you just how how hard they went in terms of a marketing and promotional push for those particular lines of toys. It is interesting when you think of it purely from like the current marketing aspect where we are in the cartoon because there's a lot of Transformers we have not seen in ages. Like the Dinobots have just disappeared completely. And there's a few others as well who we just haven't seen or heard from in so long. And despite the fact you see them occasionally during like the, the mid-episode point eye catch, like you see the one of Grimlock occasionally, or Omega Supreme you see periodically. There's just that moment of, oh yeah, you, you really are going hard on these new Transformers, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's particularly weird because, you know, you think, you think how many characters the start of season two just randomly threw at us like no context no backstory like some of them they went back and gave you a bit of a taste of them but a whole bunch of characters where it's just here you go autobots everywhere enjoy <laughs> um and you know you compare that to sort of the care and attention that is put into portraying these characters and spending a bunch of time with them like it really couldn't be more different I think that is a good moment to now move on to our first episode of the day. So let's talk about Season 2, Episode 41, Masquerade. We begin at the Decepticon underwater base with Megatron telling the Stunticons that they will be securing the three components he needs. Starscream, who is just seemingly back after being murdered by Megatron a couple episodes ago, just is there, Andy, casually. Clearly nothing wrong or no hard, no hard, no foul type thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, like, he's he's straight there on the offensive, just like, you're a fool, Megatron. It's like, <laughs> Starscream, do you not remember what happened to you last time you, you, you had to suffer the wrath of Megatron? Why well, not quieting it down for a bit? Yeah, I believe the wording he used was that he doesn't think it's a good idea to send them on such an important mission. Which Megatron 
he actually kind of has an interesting defense for that rather than just hitting star screen for once <laughs> i think it, according to my notes it was something along the lines of that they have unique transformation powers which makes them the perfect choice yeah which i'm guessing if that means their cars then sure <laughs> yeah i mean it feels like he just he just read like the the marketing brochure for the the sun to come <laughs> like i believe you'll i think you'll find star screen but actually, they have unique transformations, and they can make a big effing robot, so shut up. Do you know what, actually, now that we've said it out loud like that, that really does feel like a line that someone from marketing just said, you need to say this about the stunter cons, just get that line of dialogue in. It really does actually feel like that. Yeah, I mean, I would not be at all surprised if there was, like, for, for all of these episodes, there were, like, bullet points that Hasbro gave them of, like, these are the things that you have to have these teams of characters say or do and like one of them was like mention the transformation thing like you know try and hint that they turn into a big robot show the big robot and it's like this is <laughs> first first check box of the episode speaking of like really pushing the stuntercons hard and stuff they're ready to head out and in kind of an interesting twist we almost get a reintroduction to each of them because Motormaster just name checks all of them. And I think it even happens again like a scene or two later. Which is a nice touch for someone like me who's trying to decipher which one is which periodically. Because I don't remember <laughs> all of them. But there is just that element of you're really pushing these stunter cons hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, it's just stops shy of like Motormaster turning to camera and saying like, and you can find us all at like, your nearest toy store. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, that, it's that close to just like, remember these names, kids, because you're going to need to reel them off to your parents when it's your birthday or Christmas or whatever. <laughs> it's also, I think, fair to say it's established at this point that if you had to say who is the leader of the stunter cons, it, it's pretty much determined here that Motormaster is, given how in the front of things he is and how he's almost the spokesperson for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, uh, again, it's fr from sort of, you know, other mediums and the toys, like, it's really obvious. That it's, uh, it, it's this weird, like, Transformers kind of visual language where if you're a truck, you're in charge. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's kind of, you know, because later on, you know, we get Ultra Magnus, who's also, like, a commander, and he's also a truck. So clearly, like, there's some sort of analogous thing there. If you're the truck, you're in charge. But, uh, but yeah, like, it's very... Because that's not... I don't know, I guess it's kind of made a little bit clear before this point, but this is certainly where they, they double down on that to be like, hey, this is this is the pecking order. Whereas the aerial bots it's kind of it's explicitly said from, you know, from the get go who's who's the leader there, so Yeah, and the reason I mention as well it's it's established that he is leader is that he is the one that effectively says who is going after which component Megatron wants. He says that Dragstrip and Dead End will be getting the first component, Breakdown and Wild Rider will be getting the second, and himself will be getting the third. We then go to Autobot HQ, where Ratchet is working on Ironhide, and they're actually discussing how powerful the Stuntercons are, when suddenly their presence is picked up by Teletran. Wheeljack is then tasked with trying to determine where they are headed. We now cut to the Republic Optics Company, where we see Breakdown and Wild Rider break in, threaten a scientist there, as it were, and then they grab the new laser lenses, quote-unquote, verbatim, by the way. Next, we go to a US Army facility, not name-checked, just generic, where an experimental generator... <laughs> 
I love these names, are, are being loaded, uh, is being loaded, excuse me, onto a flatbed truck when Dragstrip and Deadend arrive and take it away. Finally, Motormaster visits, I say visits, breaks into the city museum to steal, quote unquote, the world's biggest, most perfect ruby. This this show really likes its rubies. Like right back in season one, we had the the mines of Burma or whatever. Um, it does it does like a good jewel. I I, say, I really like this whole scene of him breaking in because there's all these other like really expensive di- diamonds and emeralds and stuff, and he just like brushes all of those aside. Like, no, nah, I don't care about those. I'm just here for this one. And uh, there's something I really enjoyed about that. At this point, Teletran has pinpointed that where the Stunticons are in their respective locations, various Autobots roll out. What we now see is effectively teams of Autobots taking on the various parties of Stunticons. Hoist, Inferno and Grapple take on Breakdown and Wild Rider. The Autobots get the upper hand on them after Breakdown literally springs an oil leak, Grapple sets the trail on fire, and then Inferno puts out the fire. The bit with Inferno Inferno is really sort of confusing to me because he's almost like, I'm going to regret doing this. And it seems like he sort of tries to save him from, like, burning to death. And it's like, I know, it's a weird thing that I don't think I've seen in this show before where, like, an Autobot kind of sort of saves a Decepticon. And it's like, I wasn't quite sure how to pass that in my brain. Yeah, I think there is an element, though, where the Decepticons are happy to just off anyone, as we see in a later episode, uh, are just happy to off anyone at a given moment, whereas the Autobots really don't want to do that. They really don't want to fight or or kill anyone. So it may have just been a touch of, oh, I really don't want to do this, but I have to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that certainly seems to be the intimation. I think it's just the way it plays out in those kind of scenes that it just sort of felt a little bit... A little bit strange of like, well, wait till he's crashed or something, then you can put the fire out. But I don't know. <laughs> Re- reading too much into Inferno's thought process is clear. <laughs> Dragstrip and Deadend encounter the Autobots' warpath and tracks. Both are made short work of, to be quite frank. Particularly Deadend, who warpath literally punches a hole through his roof. Just stops him, just bam straight through his roof it was quite a moment and that was after being blinded by Trax's laser as well if memory serves yeah yeah I, I i i kind of like all of these little scenes of like stunticons versus autobots but that one in particular was like well and 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 what follows is like really brutal it's like oh my god like these it's really weird after having like sold how powerful they are and again like iron hide but almost saying like if i could go to my toy store right now i would totally buy the toys of these guys have you seen how powerful they are um but like you know having soldiers on that they do kind of get done over pretty quickly it's like oh maybe maybe they're not as good as as we were sold on like five minutes ago um but no i I did like i i I like getting to to see warpath actually do something that's not in like a goofy episode because like he's a tank he should be like super strong and powerful but he's sort of mostly been used for sort of goofy stuff so it's quite nice to see him just punch a hole in something or someone his his dialogue as well was pretty wacky though to counterpoint that if i recall yeah (laughs) just just probably going yahoo let's blow up some decepticons Then we see Prime, Bumblebee, with Spike as well, and Blaster encounter Motormaster. 
we end up getting a Prime and Motormaster basically head-on collision at full speed with each other, which causes an almighty explosion. It is quite the set piece, to say the least. And to say that Motormaster is the one that came off worst, uh, uh, the worst end of the stick from that encounter, is an understatement. He is <laughs> totaled by Prime. And he and even Prime certainly got his bell rung as well, it is inferred. But man, Motormaster got owned on this, Andy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he he literally got wrecked. So it was it's such a weird moment as well because like Optimus Prime normally pretty kind of cerebral in these sort of even in battle situations, but this time it's like now I'm just gonna play chicken with him and just ram into him. <laughs> it's like all right, cool. I mean, I'm 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 here to see that happen, and yeah, like it it does sell you on it with the big explosion, the big like oh who came out on top, and of course Optimus Prime is fine because he's Optimus Prime, and uh, yeah, I I imagine I don't know what like the Cybertronian equivalent of paracetamol is, but I imagine he needed to pop a couple of those after after that collision. I was trying to say in my head, Energetium, <laughs> Parajon. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Transformers can get concussions, but, uh, you know, you probably should get checked out after that. I mean, if, if one episode is going to test that, Andy, it'll be this, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> also worth noting at this point that Blaster, who is just randomly seemingly in the backseat of Bumblebee in his cassette deck mode, didn't actually know he was even in this scene until this moment, quite frankly. He ends up blocking the communications of the Stunticons, and then we see the Stunticons just get towed away back to Autobot HQ, and put behind, quite literally, Energon bars, left in their respective totaled states. Now, at this point, the Autobots are trying to ascertain what the heck the Decepticon plan is when a news report appears on Teletrans screen from the Optics Company, with that scientist that I mentioned earlier, talking about exactly what had happened, specifically mentioning that at first, he thought it was the Autobots coming to the building, but obviously, they weren't. Spike then says, Wild, huh, Optimus? Stunticons mistaken for Autobots? Pretty much in that tone as well. And Optimus just basically going, Yes, it's given me an idea. <laughs> also, also, Spike clearly not paying attention, like, the last couple of episodes where the Stunticons were getting mistaken for Autobots left, right, and centre. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if the Autobots are going to do anything at this point, they should, like, pay for some, like, public service ads to be like, look, this is our symbol. If if you see that, it's us. If it's a robot and you don't see that symbol, that's bad. That's not us. Because, you know, this is becoming far too frequent, like, people confusing the two. And so, uh, yeah, there, there needs to be some kind of, like, press campaign to, to educate people. It's funny you mention that, actually, because I think that happens in the next episode we're talking about today, if I remember correctly. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll dig, I think I wrote it down in my notes, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that actually does happen. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the, like, everyone, like, robot car equals Autobots, which, hey, I, I get. Like, I mean, that was, even as kids at that time, it's like, well, if it's a robot car, it's an Autobot, but not anymore. The lines are grey, Andy, they're blurred. <laughs> <laughs> so, what we now see happen is the Autobots getting a new paint job. A, a flipping good one, as it doesn't just change their colour, it changes their entire appearance and makes them literally look like the Stunticons. To try and, I tried to break this down, Andy. I'm not going to remember these as we go along, so you'll gather this from my upcoming notes. But Sideswipe now becomes Breakdown. Jazz becomes Dead End. Wind Charger becomes Wild Rider. Mirage is Dragstrip. And, 
you could say predictably, Optimus Prime is Motormaster. Now, before heading out, Prime reminds the rest of the Autobots on hand for this episode that absolute secrecy is the key to this mission succeeding. He tells them not to follow them and maintain radio silence. Ironhide, in particular, at this point, voices his displeasure, but obviously he's like, I, I get it. It doesn't mean I'm happy about the plan, though. They roll for it, and their destination is a crater on a map that they were able to extract from one of the, one of the Stunticons inside Autobot HQ. Now, the first test of their journey is Laserbeak. Laserbeak is flying overhead, and simply put, Andy, is fooled. They get past the first test of can they, can they get past the supreme intelligence of Laserbeak, as we have established through many podcasts at this point. He even reports back to Soundwave that the Stunticons have returned, though Megatron's initial reaction is, took them long enough. Yeah, it's almost like there was some strange detour involved. But uh, I, I, I mean, I have so many questions about how this camouflage works that only become more pronounced as the episode goes on. But uh, but hey, I'm fine with that. I'm I'm happy to buy into it. And this is also like one of those rare episodes where it's nice to see the Autobots going on the offensive with a plan of their own because it's usually the Decepticons have the nefarious plan. The Autobots have to figure it out. So it's sort of it's a nice little turning the tables where the Autobots are doing the sneaky stuff and uh, seeing seeing how that plays out mm, definitely it, it, I, i've got this vision in my brain that optimus prime just went i'm so tired of just waiting to see what the decepticons are gonna do let's just take yeah. it to them for once yeah it's like remember that time megatron dressed up as me and then couldn't remember any of your names maybe we should try doing that and see how it works <laughs> the autobots approach the crater and inside we see a few of the constructicons building a giant machine they begin descending into the crater along the narrow pathway that's all around it, when Starscream points out it's strange how safe the Stunticons are driving today. Megatron then has another comeback for Starscream, just saying it's clearly so they don't damage the stolen cargo. <laughs> Though Starscream is still not entirely convinced. But I've, I've got to say, I'm loving this, this dialogue exchange between Megatron and Starscream because you can tell... In any other episode, Starscream would just get a punch to the face. But at this time, Megatron's like, Oh no, this is the reason, Starscream. And in fairness to him, everything he has counteracted with has kind of made sense so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess Megatron may be feeling like, Well, I did like basically kill him the other day. I should probably dial it back a bit. Like, maybe I was being a bit too harsh. Um, but yeah, this, is, this whole thing plays out in quite a smart way because it's like... There's the obvious natural doubt and suspicion of like, is something going on here? Um, and and it, it plays out really well to kind of give a, a little bit of tension to proceedings because it's not just the kind of uh, other episodes where we've had this sort of thing happen like nobody is even close to being any the wiser until it's too late. Whereas this is just like right from the get-go. It's like, oh, this is actually... This is a tricky mission. Like, the Autobots could just get found out at any moment, and there's, it's just always teetering on the brink of, are they going to get... Is this going to work? Is this not? I don't know. Um, and I, I did kind of enjoy that throughout this part of the episode. Well, speaking of them nearly being discovered, we get to see Prime having to converse with Megatron trying to do an impression of Motormaster and doing a really bad job of it, which makes Starscream even more weary of what the heck is going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that, that is a particular highlight of, of for me. It was just uh, Optimus Prime, perhaps not having the acting range that he might have liked. 
Back at Autobot HQ, Breakdown decides to test the strength of one of the Energon bars holding them in prison. Simply just by driving into them and they break like they were nothing. And then proceeds just to take out a trio of Autobots in front of him before freeing his comrades and they all flee. Well, I say they all flee... They combine into Menasaur, wreak havoc all over the HQ, and then bust a, bust a hole in the wall and fly away to the crater. Yeah. Did, 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 did they damage Teletran? Because we've not seen Teletran get blasted for a few weeks. I, I, I don't, but I don't think they did. Like, I think Teletran for once actually survived like a Decepticon attack on the Ark. No, I think every other Autobot inside got damaged, but for once not Teletran. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of the weird, like, maybe I must have missed this because every single time anything happens in the Ark, Teletran gets a, a laser blast and, you know, needs repairs, but so I think it actually survived once. So. I mean, I say that every Autobot got got decimated here a short time later we see that bumblebee and spike just stumble into the room where all the carnage has been left behind by menasaur and at this point we see all the other autobots starting to regain consciousness again teasing the fact do autobots have concussions because they're all just holding their heads going oh that hurts <laughs> back at the crater the machine that the constructor cons are building is finished and megatron describes it as quote unquote the most destructive weapon known to Decepticon science. Since the last one. <laughs> <laughs> Literally what I thought. Literally. And with the work done, the Constructicons are dismissed and they leave. Starscream, quite rightly I think at this point, questions, why are you letting them leave? And Megatron's retort to this is, because the machine is finished and the Autobots have no idea what's going on. We're fine. <laughs> This is when, what well, I'm just going to phrase just for, for, for clarity at this point, as one of the Autobot Stunticons says, what's the weapon going to do? And Megatron is surprised, just responding with, you mean you've already forgotten? But then has no issue with explaining the fact that, and I think I wrote this down verbatim, Andy, or near enough, so here's what I believe was said. Utilising the ruby's light... Focused through the perfect lenses, it will fire the most destructive ray of all. More powerful than any laser, it will create a chain reaction of whatever it touches, producing instantaneous destruction. Imagine my turning that ray on the Autobots headquarters. Perhaps when it's gone, someone will put a memorial car park there. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how granular that got as an explanation because it again it actually makes sense now why are all these components essential yeah yeah I mean it, it I guess they it, it's kind of quite a smart way of, of having the, uh, the the otherwise kind of like laborious task of, of trying to explain what's going on just just have one of the autobots like hey what is this weapon it's like oh I guess I guess you just forgot because clearly we told you this before you went out on the mission. Um, but yeah, this, this does sound remarkably similar to the other, like, Ruby-based weapon that they were making in Season 1. But hey, it, it almost worked that time, so why not? Why not do it again? <laughs> if at first you don't succeed... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Suddenly, Menasaur arrives. Suffice to say, Megatron and Starscream, or rather Megatron specifically, is confused. And Starscream just casually says, quote-unquote... What's the matter, Megatron? Missing the obvious? <laughs> <laughs> at this point, with guns pointed at them, the Autobot Stunticons are told to prove their innocence 
by transforming into Menasaur. And credit to them, Andy, they flipping did it. <laughs> Starscream's yeah. reaction just being impossible! <laughs> Which, to be fair, was also my reaction. Like, you know, I was barely buying into the whole camouflage thing in the first place, and then it's like, they, they can't do this as well. I mean, credit to this episode, it does, like, explain it, kind of, but I still have issues with the actual camouflage part of this whole operation. Yeah, the explanation that's given is one of the Autobots, Autobot Stunticons, whichever you want to call them at this point, saying something to the effect of the, a mag, that one of them is producing a magnetic field to make them transform like this. Yeah, I mean, it's basically because wind charger's thing is magnets. Like, magnets. How yeah. do they work? Wind charger knows. Um, and so I guess he's just sort of holding them together in a sort of Menasaur esque configuration, and the camouflage is doing the rest. But. Mm. I know, it's a lot for me to buy into, but it's like, sure, at least the writers were smart enough to think this through and be like, well, if we put the magnet transformer in this configuration, because <laughs> when was the last time we saw Windcharger in the show do anything of note? Like, I don't think we've seen him do anything since, like, the ultimate doom. Um, and that was a know, long time ago at this point. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> so it's like, finally, we've got the magnet guy who can do a magnet thing to make our, our kind of tenuous storyline work. There was part of me as well, because there was a line about so long as they can keep the, the look of this face up on Menasaur. It did make me wonder if that was something to do with Mirage's ability at all. Yeah, I assume that part was down to Mirage, like he was he was doing the face bit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I really, I don't think we should like investigate this any harder, or it's all just going to fall apart. Like, like Menasaur, Autobot Menasaur is about to. <laughs> Funny you mention that actually, because at this point the machine is charged up and ready. Megatron saying, "Ready to be tested on the imposter." In other words, whichever loses the fight. The Autobot Menasaur is struck down, and the need for the disguise is pretty much over at that point. But Megatron begins firing the device, and then the Autobots are able to avoid the fire. It gets like two or three shots, and suddenly the machine just implodes. And my first reaction to this was, you couldn't even make your bloody machine right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> and then we get Prime then saying... Now that Megatron knows the danger of building such a weapon, I doubt he'll build another. <laughs> Prime. Prime, I, I take great exception to this line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th th there's a certain level of naivety that, that should not be crossed. And like, yeah, I'm sure Megatron will never try to make another super weapon because, you know, <laughs> this is only like, what, the 12th time that he's tried it? <laughs> you know, 13th time's the charm, I guess. But my exact notes here, looking at what I wrote down, was all caps, really, Prime? Do you not watch this show? <laughs> <laughs> This is when more Autobots arrive as backup, and at this point, actual Menasaur runs away in fear of the strength in numbers. Okay, sure, whatever. The other Decepticons follow. At this point, and credit to them, they actually now do a decent explanation of this, and it was a nice little, almost, it was just, yeah, just a nice reveal, I guess is the way to phrase it. We hear that Ironhide is the one that actually pulled the fast one on the Decepticons. Because while the Stunticons were trapped in HQ and they were initially trying to figure out what was going on, Ironhide made some quote-unquote alterations to the Ruby, which I'm sure the owners of the Ruby are really happy about. And so because of that, 
the Decepticon never actually checked the ruby before they put it in the machine. Hence, then, why it imploded. Yeah, no, I, I, I do appreciate that as well. Like, I appreciate that we weren't shown that because it mm. would have been an easy thing to show her from the get-go. Like, ha-ha, you know, he's part of our plan. But the fact that it keeps that its powder dry on that and then it all goes awry kind of adds a bit more... A little bit more free song to the uh, to the proceedings. So yeah, that's that's a nice little nice little touch. And honestly, that's actually the end of the episode. It's not even me just dodging over the ending. That <laughs> is how it ends, quite frankly. And you know what, Andy? It was actually a really fun episode. It did a lot of different things that we've not seen before. And that's what made it really fresh. And the whole idea of the of the camouflage aspect to it, and then the freaking the freaking Autobots turning into Menasaur thing, which in itself is still ludicrous. Just overall, a good fun episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, it, I, I think it's partly it, it's partly because I'm a sucker for the Suntacons, um, but also partly like just having these new teams of characters kind of like gives a bit of a fresh coat of paint in terms of what you can do. Because again just having car-based Decepticons, you know, all of that sort of head-to-head stuff early in the episode, you couldn't really do with any other Decepticons, so it kind of, you know, changes the game for that, for the action quotient. Like I mentioned, having the Autobots go on the offensive for once and have be the ones doing the nefarious plan is really nice, especially because it actually mostly works. Like, because it's, you know, whenever we have these sort of, you know, these plans come to fruition no matter who's doing it, there's usually a point where it all falls apart and just turns into kind of, you know, a, a, a firefight. So it's actually quite cool that everything kind of basically works out as well as it needs to um, to, to finish things off, which, you know, as, as abrupt as it makes that ending, it's kind of quite a satisfying, like, no, like, Autobots did a thing and they pulled it off and great. Um, and so, yeah, that was really fun. And as as questionable as, like, the concept behind it is, the whole, like, Autobots pretending to be Menasaur thing is also kind of cool. So I was sort of into that as well. We're now at the point in our episode recap where we visit a TF wiki to see if there's any interesting trivia notes that maybe could shed some light on other things. So let's see what we have today. So with regard to the Autobots having the camouflage paint and the ones that they each turned into, a note from the wiki on this... In case you missed it, the Autobots chosen to impersonate the Stunticons are based specifically on alternate modes. Given this attention to detail, it's not infeasible to think that the plot of the episode may have originally called for the Autobots to simply have their alternate modes painted, since they constantly refrain from transforming once in the Decepticon camp. Although the specific models don't line up, Prime and Motormaster both transform into semi-trucks, Jazz and Dead End are both Porsches, Sideswipe and Breakdown are both Lamborghinis. Mirage and Dragstrip are both Formula One race cars, albeit very different looking ones. And, well, Windcharge is a Pontiac Firebird and Wild Rider is a Ferrari. But the plot demanded Windcharge of his magnetic abilities. This would also explain why a different device, a projector of some sort, is used to disguise him inside Autobot HQ rather than the camouflage paint. I didn't notice the projector thing. So, again, interesting that they thought of these little things because, you know, it's it's already a, a tenuous idea as it is, but uh, fair, fair play to them for that. So a little continuity error perhaps here, but quite an interesting one, I think. During their construction in the Key to Vector Sigma Part 1, Megatron notes that he has outfitted the Stunticons with quote-unquote automatic force fields that make their hulls impenetrable. 
which accounts for how well they did in battle. Yet in this episode, they are easily taken down by second-string Autobots, including non-fighters such as Grapple and Hoist. Mm -hmm. That's a a burial, isn't it? Flip it (laughs) out. So yeah, it's actually a fair point. That that had occurred to me during the episode, but I just figured, you know what? Just because they've got... Just because they're stronger doesn't mean they're, like, unbeatable. That's kind of how I took it, but I never thought of it that bluntly. Yes, yeah, because, I mean, Megatron does very specifically say they're impenetrable, but uh, I know, you know, maybe, uh, Me- Megatron can, can bluster and brag a bit with the best of them, so he's probably pro- probably over-egging it a bit. That's, that's going to be my, my headcanon for that one. And a final note here for this episode. Two deleted scenes from this episode feature the individual Stunticons talking with each other while combined as Menasaur, only for Menasaur himself to then silence all of his components because their chatter is confusing him. Even without this dialogue, the finished episode portrays Menasaur as almost adorably dumb and easily bamboozled, utterly baffled, for example, when Prime accuses him of being an imposter. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned on the last episode, I quite like that about the the gestalts for these special teams, that they just somehow become kind of dumb as soon as they transform into that mode. It's kind of, there's something to that. If I actually, a, a, an additional note, which I think this is worth noting, Andy, this episode marks the final appearances of Inferno, Trax, Trailbreaker, and Sideswipe in the American version of the original Transformers cartoon. That's uh, that's show. I, 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 I like Sideswipe. He, he, does, he never really does a lot in this cartoon, <laughs> but I, I like... He's, 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 he's a cool car, and he's, I, I, I always liked his character design. So, farewell, Sideswipe. We knew you well. In a weird way, I find it interesting that, like, Trax is just gone now, considering he's literally had, what, three, maybe four episodes at this point? With him as the prime focus of it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of surprising how much there was of him in the first place, because in, in terms of, you know, Transformers, who you sort of think about a lot, just like tracks doesn't normally track if you know what i mean so it's kind of it's it's interesting that he got as much play as he did like i mean this is where i'd really love to know like the nitty-gritty of characters like tracks in terms of was that derived from sales of the toy being good or not so good so they wanted to give him a push was it just like the writers being like hey no we like this guy because he's a car with wings like you know i'd love to know how some of those decisions came about where you could pretty much drop any transformer into some of these episodes but they're very specific about which one they choose and I, i'd love to like know a lot more about how those decisions were made and like what they were based off of mm. so from there everyone we're now going to move on to our second episode of the day it's time to talk about season two episode 42 trans europe express we begin in istanbul Not what I expected, but that's how it worked out. With Megatron threatening a human, saying, Where is he? The man swears, quote-unquote, By the beard of the prophet, he doesn't know where he is. I'm... I'm not sure that's okay. Right? That's what I thought! (laughs) I'm I'm not sure that's okay. I mean, when we get... I believe it's when we get into season three, uh, there is an episode that actually caused one of the voice actors to quit because it was sort of Islamophobic. Um, oh, wow. We'll, 
we we will we will get to that one in due course i believe um but yeah this is definitely as much as i sort of appreciate transformers it's been, actually been pretty good overall for visiting different locations and you know having a bit of a variety in ethnicities etc etc yeah that line maybe maybe not not the best it was one of those moments when i heard it and i just have to pause and go wait what did he say and then just wind it back and i I felt i had to write it down because it's an insane line of dialogue quite frankly and how it made it into a kid's cartoon is beyond me yeah the 80s were a different time (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> we come to find out that Megatron is looking for someone named Abdul Ben Faisal. I hope I pronounced that right. Apologies in advance if I haven't. Referred to by one of the locals as the greatest sage in all of Istanbul. As he wants the Pearl of Baduhin. Again, I hope I've pronounced that right. I probably haven't. Apologies. After his location is quickly ratted out by one of the locals when Megatron literally blows a giant hole in the floor next to him, Megatron finds the man he is after, who tells him that the, the pearl is buried in the Galata Valley near the Ali Bay River. The man also adds that once Megatron has dug up the pearl, he may not find it so easy to put it back. I'm pretty sure that line never came back to haunt Megatron. <laughs> I was expecting, like, this pearl to be stuck to his hand, and just couldn't let go of it. But no. Megatron and Soundwave then head to the valley mentioned a moment ago. And Soundwave is not able to pick up any energy readings. Likely, as he says, because it is that's just how deep it is buried that he can't detect it. I do want to make a note here about Soundwave scanning here, Andy. I don't know if you picked up on this. But the scanning sounds for Soundwave sounded like... A door constantly opening and closing on the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> I mean, that is that is a very common sound effect that you see like in a lot of places. So yeah, it's a strange it's a strange use case for it. But yeah, there's definitely. I feel like eighties cartoons in particular. I feel like almost every cartoon you'd 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 have some sound effect at some point where it's like, wait, isn't that the doors of the Enterprise? Um, and so yeah, this is the Transformers using that royalty-free sound effect or whatever it is <laughs> so uh yeah we can we can check that one off the list it was just so odd seeing Soundwave standing there like his sort of his rings of scanning being pr- going out into the distance and while the camera's panning you just hear <laughs> just it was so weird <laughs> from there rumble is then sent out but he says it could take them years to dig up this place even with the constructor cons we now head to Paris, everybody, because that's a that's a change of location, where we have the following announcement, quote-unquote. Welcome to Paris, where the most unusual race in motor history is about to begin. The Europa 2000. A donor has offered $20 million for charity if the world's finest drivers will race from Paris, France, all the way to Istanbul in Turkey. In addition, there's a cool million in store for the winning driver. As this announcement is being read, we see the Eiffel Tower in the background, and then the start line at the Champs-Élysées, where a load of cars are waiting along 
where a load of cars are waiting, excuse me, along with some familiar Autobots, specifically Blue Streak, Bumblebee, Wheeljack, Sunstreaker, Sideswipe, Tracks, and Smokescreen, who make it known that if any of them win the race, the charities will get an extra million. We then hear protests about their participation from a driver named Augie Carne, I think it is. But either way, I, I, I'm going to refer to him as Augie at this point. I, I have it written as Ogie Canary. That might just be I, a typo on my on my page. I, then. I, I yeah, I, and I if, if that isn't his name, then it should be because I think Ogie Canary is way funnier. Uh, it is uh, spelt C A H N A Y. His surname. Oggy, anyway, that's what I'm calling him. A top yeah. American driver whose car is a custom-built machine from Simultech Industries who makes it clear, quote-unquote, there's only one charity I care about, me. To add an extra wrinkle to this, Wheeljack tells the other Autobots that he is the one that Prime has sent them to protect, as he's concerned that the custom-built car, having advanced technology as part of it, could attract Megatron's attention. The engine specifically being made out of a weird metal, quote-unquote, as Wheeljack puts it when he scans it. The race begins, and the action is going on fast through the streets of Paris, with Oggie taking an early lead. Break for a second, Anna, Andy, because a lot, a lot has gone on there. I actually really like this idea of, like, in a weird way, this entire episode is a is about the charity i like that really really like that aspect but even just the idea we're having like a trans europe race like this it actually makes total sense from a transformers point of view it just does yeah i mean clearly the writers couldn't figure out where dakar was so they couldn't call it maybe there's a trademark on the paris dakar rally so they couldn't call it that so paris <laughs> istanbul rally um i mean yeah but it, it's it's quite it's quite fun um you know it, it does make me think i wish i could have my like wacky races transformers spin-off series <laughs> um but so uh, you know that's maybe an idea for another day I, I do i have a question for you did wheeljack sound different to you in this episode he sounded subtly different to me i i suspect he didn't sound like a completely different actor i suspect maybe like wheeljack's actor had was just like recovering from a cold or something because he just didn't sound quite the same to me but i could be just imagining it um i mean i didn't notice it personally it might have just been when i was watching it i just didn't i just didn't notice it but no i don't yeah. recall it sounding that different yeah, he just sounded a little bit off. Like it might even have just been that they didn't kind of have the like the, the reverb and the effects that they put on the voices set quite the same for this episode or mm. something. But he just didn't sound quite like normal Wheeljack to me. But I, that might have just been me being weird. I mean, there was an episode. Oh, God, I can't remember how many it was at this point. But there was an episode a while ago where Starscream sounded particularly off in one episode. Yeah, yeah, I remember mm. that one as well. And I mean, you know, they probably had pretty intense recording sessions, so you wouldn't be surprised if they had to kind of turn up with a cold once or twice and kind of like sniffle their way through being <laughs> Starscream or whoever. Back with Megatron. He's got help, via kidnapping, from Professor Terra Nova, who identifies the only part of the valley that isn't solid rock. The Professor is restrained in the world's largest pair of Energon handcuffs, and now two of the Constructicons happen to be on hand to begin digging. Soundwave at this point alerts Megatron that Autobots are part of the Europa race, but it's of no concern to Megatron, given that the finish line is just a couple of miles away from their current location. 
I would say that is cause for concern, Megatron, but, you know, more power to you. But at this point, tasks the Stunticons with making sure not a single Autobot makes it to the finish line. During this discussion, if you weren't paying attention to the screen, the Professor is able to use what I think was his metal detector, Andy, I really don't know, to free himself from the giant Energon handcuffs, climb up a cliff, and run away. Fair, fair play to him. I mean, it's not, not, not many humans manage to kind of have the the guts or the gall to, to escape these things. So, like, you know, again, if, if only we, we got to spend more time with this guy, because he seems like, again, re replace Spike with him is probably, probably more useful. <laughs> Back with the race. Oggy's reckless driving is certainly ruffling some feathers, to put it lightly, particularly that of Bumblebee, who is practically run off the road by him. But he's able to give him a piece of his mind a short time later after hitching a ride with one of the other Autobots to catch up to him. Literally pulling him out of his car, getting him by the scruff of the neck, as it were. But Oggy doesn't care, just breaks free and carries on driving. Suffice to say at this point, Andy, what a troll. <laughs> very much so. We then what I'm going to very generously refer to, Andy, as we get a time skip. <laughs> Because we see, via a map of Europe, with some interesting spellings of certain countries on it, if you look hard enough, <laughs> that the race has passed through the remainder of France, gone through Italy, and is now in Yugoslavia. That's how long ago this was, folks, just saying. We joined Sunstreaker and Sideswipe, who apparently took a wrong turn in Italy. <laughs> Nowhere specific, just in Italy. And are now miles behind the pack. This is when the four Stunticon cars find them, surround them, and ambush them while they're driving. They are blown off the road, and now the Stunticons are looking to find more Autobozos, as Dead End puts it. We get another time skip, as the progression map sees the big red line going through Europe, having now gone through the rest of Yugoslavia, crossing Bulgaria, and now into Turkey. This was a short race, apparently, or something else has happened. We join Wheeljack by the Black Sea, him himself realising he's in Turkey, but his happiness is short-lived as he's attacked by Motormaster. Wheeljack got the short end of the stick here, flipping heck. I mean, he literally gets squashed. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> what the heck? I will say, I really enjoyed this sequence involving Wheeljack and Motormaster. There's a cool moment, there's just lots of cool moments where Wheeljack's having to outmaneuver him, and you get the whole dynamic of the car versus truck, but as you said, ultimately, Wheeljack kind of goes down onto a lower platform. Motormaster just cranks up the speed, goes off the cliff edge, and just lands on Wheeljack and completely flattens him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's a really good little sequence, but it's just like, oh my god, you just you literally squashed Wheeljack. I can't. Maybe that's why he didn't sound so good. I don't know. He knew it was coming, that's why. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We see Smokescreen attacked by Wild Rider and then Blue Streak having to fend off all of the Stunticons while he is trying to tend to his comrade. After hitching a ride on top of Wild Rider, he's able to evade him. Now, the way he evades Wild Rider, everybody, it's an ingenious plan. Wild Rider drives into the side of a mountain. And Blue Streak, sensing things are about to go a bit AWOL, lets go of Wild Rider, but because Wild Rider just drives into the side of the mountain, he then just goes flying into the air onto a ridge above, 
At which point, Wild Rider just, I guess, assumes that he's, like, been, like, he's been blasted off into the sun or something. Or it's like when Team Rocket get defeated in an episode of Pokemon and just fly into the sky. <laughs> because he just goes, okay, and drives off. <laughs> However, on said ridge where Blue Streak landed, he finds Professor Terra Nova. And as we were talking about when discussing the previous episode, Andy, this is when he sees the Autobot logo and realizes, oh, you're an Autobot. I need to tell you about the Decepticons and starts to explain what the heck is going on. But also adds the minor detail, Andy, that the pearl that Megatron wants can cause worldwide disaster. It's a very unspecific problem. <laughs> like, 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 you know, like, is it a climate catastrophe? Like, what's the deal here? Just, but no... Disaster, generic disaster. Trax and Bumblebee are near the finish line, but aren't able to contact their comrades. The Stunticons somehow... Well, backtrack. The Stunticons are driving along the road towards them, but somehow totally miss the fact that they are driving straight towards the Autobots, because they just go off the side of the road, hang by for a second while they drive by, and then just go back on the road. Yeah, Santa Stunticons. I mean, all, maybe all of those head-on collisions in the last episode have kind of uh, done for them a little bit. Just lost, lost, a f lost a few brain cells in the process. We've gone from the Stunticons being portrayed as like an immovable force to them almost just kind of being a bit dim. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Should be noted at this point, the two Autobots roll out to try and find their comrades. Back with Megatron. It turns out he wants Oggy's car and tells Motormaster to go get it. The Stunticons take his car, and that's when Scavenger, of the Constructicons, has seemingly found what he's been digging for. Megatron is very excited about the fact that he can nearly take over the world. Blue Streak, at this point, finds Oggy, having been decarred and whatnot, and Oggy ends up driving him saying that he can help them stop the Decepticons by proving he is a better driver than them. Let that sink in, everybody. <laughs> yeah, like, sure. Okay. <laughs> they pass the finish line. Blue Streak and Oggy, I guess, are announced as the winners. But they keep on driving, leaving the poor commentator sitting in front of the fans, being on a loudspeaker, having to just hang there, waiting to interview the winner. Spoiler, he never gets to interview them. <laughs> They've gone to the Decepticons camp, where Megatron and Megatron now has the Pearl, excuse me, which according to him is the power core of a weather controlling machine from Cybertron. Yeah, how how much at, at this point, like how much junk from Cybertron has like landed on Earth? Like we've had so many, like we've had the Inceptacons, we've had Jetfire, we've got this. There was like that spaceship the other week. It just seems like everything is just like we're just the garbage tip of Cybertron. It's like everything that people don't want or mislay just somehow crash lands on Earth, as it turns out. I mean, not far from the truth, you could argue. But <laughs> <laughs> Now, to, to elaborate on what Megatron said there, he explains that the machine which housed this power core was destroyed and the core had been buried for millions of years. We are then told it was dug up in the 14th century, but when the device was exposed to the atmosphere, it unleashed a powerful energy that saw it destroy cities. So a Persian seer built a pure gold protective casing for it. Megatron wants to build a machine to control its power. 
He needed an energy-resistant metal. Fortunately, Simultech, the company that built Oggy's car, solved that when they invented the new alloy alluded to earlier. The engine of his car being built from the metal that Megatron needs. Hence why he needs Oggy's car. His plan is to melt down the engine to make it then buildable for his new machine. Where Andy, he proclaims he will be the master of the elements. <laughs> it's a pretty, I mean, to be fair, I, if, if I could be the master of the elements, I would be. So I'm, I'm, I totally share his, his desire there. <laughs> I will say, as a little bit convoluted as it was while watching it, I did like the fact we got that much backstory. I am curious to know how Megatron knew so much of that backstory. But that aside, I, I did like how they actually explained, kind of like you were saying, how how has this just been buried here and no one's known about it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a good catch or like, oh, it came from Cybertron. Uh, but it's also quite nice as just a story beat to join together these two seemingly disparate elements of you've got like car race car that the decepticons want for some reason plus this whole pearl thing going on and you know it, the way it knits those two things together is very convenient for the plot but it's also kind of fun as a as a, as a way of, of joining the dots and kind of having two different stories running side by side and then bolting them together towards the end at this point, Oggy is able to get back into his car, and Bumblebee is able to take the Pearl from Megatron, because he's a crazy nutter. The Autobots are heavily outnumbered, but seeing it as their last resort, Bumblebee opens the gold casing, which I'm guessing was meant to be far stronger than Bumblebee made it look, unleashing a giant energy wave in the sky. Lightning bolts begin shooting out, striking the Stunticons, who clearly are just getting the short end of the stick at this point. They then transform into Menasaur, but the extreme weather is causing issues, let's say. Bumblebee drops the pearl, and a tornado takes her way into the sky. Megatron then chases the pearl, and Menasaur falls into a hole he made by causing an earthquake on the ground a moment or two earlier. He gets out of it, and starts putting the beating to the Autobots, quite literally, when Oggy suddenly drives his car into Menasaur's face, right between the eyes. <laughs> yeah, so suddenly a far more likable character when he's doing that. With Menasaur taken care of, Bumblebee leaps into the tornado I mentioned a moment ago and destroys the pearl by shooting it with his blaster, saving the day. As far as ways of resolving this, Andy, I was expecting more. I mean, I was also not expecting Bumblebee to be a complete nut job at the end of this episode. So, yeah, I'm just going to steal this from Megatron. I'm going to open up and use this, like, disaster, like global disaster weapon thing. I'm sure it'll all work out. Well, we'll just figure this out as, as we go. And I'm like, of all the characters to do that, like, this, this is, this is like cliff jumper territory of just like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? Like, this is incredibly risky and probably like ill advised. Um, but uh, hey, he made it work. And it's, it's, it's nice to have a bit of a bumblebee moment. We've not really had a lot of, of bumblebee recently. And, you know, he's, he's, he's not, be, he's not fallen into a ravine once this season, I don't think. So <laughs> don't like, jinx nice to, it. <laughs> yeah, yet. Um, so no, nice to see him getting to getting to do some stuff. I'm just imagining there was a, there was that discussion of can we have Cliff Jumper and someone's going Cliff Jumper is not available for this episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when <laughs> when did we last see him? I'm also trying to remember was was it 
Bumblebee was it somebody else that used the line? What's that something that Easter Bunny bought you for uh, the, the the pearl? <laughs> I, don't, I think I, I think that I think that was maybe Bumblebee as well because there wasn't really anyone else around. But I, I did like that line. Also, like weirdly, like I, I I wasn't quite sure why Easter Bunny, but sure Bumblebee, whatever works. Do you know what? Hang on, let me quickly. Before we get to the final bit of the recap, when was this broadcast? No, it was broadcast in December, so that makes no sense. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, it was not even anywhere near Easter, so I don't, I don't get it. But uh, so after things have calmed down, the Autobots conclude that Megatron must have set up the race from the beginning to snag Oggy's car, meaning that there's no prize money for anyone. Sorry, charity. Right, <laughs> flipping heck, you know. I mean, but the thing is, though, Blue Streak won. Give the money to charity. Yeah, I mean, so somebody somebody should step in and, and do something there. But uh, yeah, sad, sad, sad times. Hmm. Oggy then remarks that he should take the gold casing of the jewel, uh, I'm assuming, I say jewel, I think I meant pearl, quite frankly, uh, as payment for his destroyed car, but instead gives it to the Autobots to sell it for charity. Good job, Oggy. You're not a total troll. <laughs> that said, he does walk off and just goes, see you around. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe, maybe I can be like Raul and get another episode in this show. Please <laughs> let me have another episode in this show. God, I hope, God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, the race announcer that I mentioned a few moments ago is still just waiting at the finish line, but everyone else barring him has gone home. Yeah. I mean, again, a, a really nice little little <laughs> snippet of comedy from this series. Just a, a beautiful little, like, uh, little, little ending to that whole narrative. And that is the end of that episode, everybody. Andy, your overall thoughts on this episode? Yeah, this was this was all right. Like it's again much, much like that episode where we had like the the whole like race and stunts earlier in this season. Was it Autobot? I forget which one it was. Mm. Um, but like you know, I I wanted more Autobots racing than I got. Um, but there's some good stuff here. Again, some good Stunticon stuff. You know, I, I did like the way it, it joins together its two story beats into one towards the end. You know, kind of made that work. All kind of finishes a little bit quickly. This is definitely one an, another one of those episodes where it's like, okay, well, we've got to wrap this up now. Um, and so it just has to rush through that. But yeah, this was this was all right. Um, I, I did like Bumblebee's like closing line of this episode was, what, what was it? I, I, he basically ends up just like draped over a tree branch. He just says like, I feel like a lost kite. And it's like, <laughs> oh, poor Bumblebee. But hey, you're, you're the MVP of this episode for just being a crazy fool. I was gonna say, that's what you get for being a nutter who steals something from Megatron and jumps into a tornado. You know? Yeah, I mean, kind of lucky that he's still in one piece. You know, no, never mind feeling like a kite. But uh, but but fair play to you, Bumblebee. Yeah, as for want of a better way of phrasing this, this is just a, a this is a perfectly fine filler episode. It's got some cool. It's got some really fun moments in it, like the Wheeljack Motormaster battle that I mentioned on the road. That was a really fun moment. It's got lots of cool moments like that. But yeah, ultimately very inconsequential. And obviously, barring that line of dialogue that we talked about at the beginning, I was going to say originally perfectly inoffensive as an episode, but actually it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beyond that, it was yeah, it was it was fine. It was serviceable. Um, and uh, yeah, not not quite. You know, it kind of made me appreciate the episode before that all the more. Of like, oh, this was a really good coherent. That was that was a really good coherent narrative that was pretty well paced. This one maybe wasn't quite so much, but it was fine. 
So we now do our traditional thing of visiting the TF wiki to see if there are any trivial, perhaps interesting notes to be aware of. Let's have a look. This episode has the final appearances of Blue Streak, Smokescreen, and Sunstreaker with spoken dialogue. From here on, all of their appearances are simply a silent cameos. Uh, well, hopefully Smokescreen gets to use his Smokescreen at least once more, because <laughs> he, he didn't in this episode, I think. He didn't do the thing. Like, <laughs> he, did, he didn't, he, he didn't do the one thing he can do. <laughs> yeah, like he could, he could potentially have gotten out of that situation had he only used his Smokescreen. We've talked about it a few times, and at this point, Andy, this must be the last one, but this is one of the four episodes prior to Transformers the movie where Optimus Prime does not appear. Yeah, yeah, just taking another break. I mean, he wouldn't have been much use in the race, so, you know, good good time for him to take a, a week off and just leave it up to everyone else. <laughs> but again, I mean, Bumblebee wouldn't really have been much use in the race, and they sent him, so, you know. Oh, here's a random one, Andy. Oggy is mentioned in the American dub of the 2001 Robots in Disguise cartoon in the episode Skid's Choice. There he is stated as having been deceased and Skid Z or Skids, I guess it's meant to be, is seemingly possessed by his spirit. <laughs> likewise, <laughs> okay. that likewise, that episode features a race called the Europa 400, supposedly named after the Europa 2000 from this episode. I mean, I, I appreciate a bit of weird, deep continuity in the trans across Transformers universes, so fair, fair play to them. <laughs> you might like this as a note, Andy. According to writer David Wise, the title of the episode was taken directly from the Kraftwerk album of the same name. Yeah, I mean, I was literally just about to make a joke that I was very disappointed that there was no Kraftwerk or no, like, you know, <laughs> Ger Germans in red shirt and tie at all during this episode, but I appreciate... I appreciate David Weiser's taste in music. It, it pleases <laughs> me greatly. So, there's a fun little there's a fun little section here, Andy. I'm simply going to read out the title: "Geopolitical Errors." <laughs> <laughs> I will read this to verbatim and let's see what happens. Quite a bit of real world European geography pops up in the course of this episode, including the cities of Istanbul in Turkey, Paris in France with the Eiffel Tower, Italy, and the Black Sea. Being the G1 cartoon, of course, this means a lot of it portrayed is wrong, is either wrong and is so in one form or another. Istanbul is drawn as though it were medieval Russia, with lots of <laughs> onion dome towers. <laughs> Paris is shown with a number of skyscrapers around the Eiffel Tower. In real life, almost everything in the city is six or stories or less. The Arc de Triomphe is shown at a regular intersection. It actually sits within a large traffic roundabout. <laughs> Wheeljack says it's 2,000 miles total. Because we're nitpicking here, we'll point out it's actually closer to 1,600 miles. <laughs> <laughs> and the map of Europe, as we talked about, Andy, is um quite inaccurate. So, a couple more trivia notes for you, Andy, on this one. David Wise, infamous for recycling ideas from old stories of his for later works, reused the weather control device climax in of this episode for his episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Hot Rodding Teenagers from Dimension X. <laughs> <laughs> and a final one for you. This episode is one of several from late in season two where characters get severely smashed up 
and beaten up. Perhaps a precursor to the violent demise of several characters in the then forthcoming animated movie. Other such episodes include Triple Takeover, with the throne of the smashed Autobots that we talked about before, the key to Vector Sigma in which Omega Supreme just explodes, Masquerade, which sees the Stunticons beaten to a pulp, as we just mentioned, and in the episode we're going to be talking about next, Andy, where it's fair to say some crime is committed. <laughs> so, Andy, I think on that note, from there, we should move on to our final episode of today. It's time to talk about Season 2, Episode 43, War Dawn. We begin with the classic Seeker Jets, Starscream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker being pursued by the aerial bots, seemingly because they've kidnapped some world leaders based on some dialogue, which Slingshot remarks, <laughs> he effectively goes, is that a problem based on what he's read about them? <laughs> uh, my, yeah. my note to that, Andy, was relatable. Yeah, yeah, Slingshot would do really well on 2022 Twitter as well, as it turns out. <laughs> there must be a Slingshot fan account. Please tell me there is. <laughs> we see a fun dogfight between the two parties, which ultimately sees the Seeker Jets being beaten. But this is when Starscream plays his trump card, Andy. He just drops the political leaders out of the sky. <laughs> just, yeah. just drops them. Which then leads to the aerial bots having to catch them all respectively, taking them down to safety. At Autobot HQ, we get an interesting conversation here. With the aerial bots, sans Silverbolt it should be said, praising the Seeker Jets for their abilities. They're reminded that you know they're evil, right? And remember how they just dropped humans out the sky? You know, that thing that we just helped with? And then Slingshot just kind of going, Oh, it was probably an accident! <laughs> Iron Hyde then starts talking about if they'd have been fighting as long as they have, they'd know better. Optimus Prime steps in and says, That's exactly the point. The aerial bots were only created a few weeks ago, but they'll understand soon enough. I want to pause there for a second, Andy. I loved that note there because it actually not only puts in a bit of a timeline as to how much has progressed since the key to Vector Sigma, but it's actually, it makes total sense. And Prime is 100% right. They, they don't know how long they've been fighting for, quite frankly. And you can actually understand from that point of view why Slingshot is kind of in the mindset he is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I seem to recall this is something that the, the comics do in, in a similar way with the aerial bots. Because, yeah, like, you know, they're they're not really bought into this war like they are brought into it but they're not like they're like having seen it from the start and seen where it comes from they've just been created just to fight in this thing that they have no real stakes in and so it does it's a really interesting point of view and it does make total sense that they're just like you know which side is which really does any of this actually matter why should we care about any of this Suddenly, Teletran picks up, quote-unquote, very unusual readings from Cybertron. <laughs> the origin of which is unknown. Omega Supreme is summoned, and Andy, we are heading back to Cybertron, which, got to be said, the aerial bots are really excited about. Yeah, I mean, everyone loves the holiday, so... <laughs> that said, I was half expecting Slingshot to have a, qu have a quip of, can you not explode on arrival this time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, would would also would also been fair, especially if 
if Slingshot was not aware of the stuff that we weren't aware of because of those deleted scenes, I mean, it did seem like the Mega Supreme just spontaneously exploded. So, you know, he'd be, he'd be right to be wary. At Decepticon HQ, the Seekers are repairing one another when Megatron walks in in disbelief that the guys have failed in what they were set to do. He also points out that as long as the aerial bots live, quote-unquote, his supremacy of the sky is threatened. <laughs> Megatron, I don't think that's your line, buddy. That should be someone else's. <laughs> Soundwave then alerts Megatron that the Autobots have gone to Cybertron. To which Megatron then says, they must have detected Shockwave's work on the Chronosphere. Just name dropping on that weapon name there, Megatron. Good job. He, and then he says, it's time to activate the space bridge. We cut to Cybertron and Shockwave's lab on arrival, Andy. To say it's really seen better days is an understatement. This looks like garbage. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I have mentioned like I felt really sorry for Shockwave that yeah everyone just barges in through via his lab whenever they go to Cybertron and usually shoots up the place in the process and it's really taken its toll by this point. He's probably just said, you know what, screw it, I'm not repairing this. You're just gonna come back again. You're just gonna blow the place up. You're gonna make a mess. I'm just leaving it like this. Don't care anymore. Just do what you like. <laughs> It's really seen better days. And speaking of things seeing better days, we learn that the chronosphere that Megatron has mentioned is a freaking time machine. Yeah, I mean, the, the clue is there in the, the chronos of the name. So, uh, yeah, it's time travel time. He plans to use it to steal energy from the past, specifically before the war when Cybertron had plenty of power. By the way, I'm not sure how that, that that's the, how that works. <laughs> I don't think, like, I, I am no time scientist, but I'm pretty sure if you steal all the power from, like, past Cybertron, it's... No, that, that doesn't make sense. I, my, my brain actually hurts trying to pass that, because then if... You're not making more energy, you're just taking it away from somewhere else in the timeline, so... I mean, first of all, agreed... The other thing I would say is, if you've got a time machine, and you're gonna do anything, would you not go back to the time when the Ark left Cybertron, and then maybe actually just destroy it? Well, I mean, even before that, I mean, we, it's been made clear that this is a war that's been raging for millions of years. Like, there must be a large number of inflection points where you could inject yourself into and kind of mess with the timeline so that you win. So picking, like, I'll just go back and get lots of Energon is perhaps a strange course of action because, yeah, like, doing something around the arc and no doubt plenty of other things, including the events that we see in this episode. Maybe you could finish the job there and you know it would have saved you a lot of bother but yeah this is this is not megatron's greatest idea i'm, I'm gonna say i mean also he could just go into the future to see what happens next yeah i mean probably for the best that he didn't <laughs> fair point yeah. actually fair point <laughs> <laughs> however though because he is aware that the aerial bots are on omega supreme because Soundwave is super intelligent like that he has now decided that he's got a trap for them. And the fact that aerial bots are going to be there, he may be able to get rid of his problem that he has. Speaking of Omega Supreme, as they're on their way there, we see him touch down and immediately mention he is low on fuel. Except this time, he didn't explode. 
<laughs> no, but every time, really, people should have figured this out by this point because every time Omega Supreme flies anywhere, he's immediately low on fuel when he gets there. <laughs> I mean, either they need to work on his fuel efficiency or they need to like factor that into their plans. Like, I, I realize this is very much a narrative device so that we don't have Omega Supreme just obliterates all the Decepticons, <laughs> but it's like every time it's like, oh, I've traveled, now I'm out of power. <laughs> It, it, this is even more reinforced when Prime just tells him to shut down for a while and have a rest. Eventually, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just like, going to sleep know. mode. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just going to standby until oh, I don't know, the end of this episode. <laughs> and then they mention they'll they'll scrounge some fuel for him, which implies what kind of state Cybertron is in. So the Autobots roll out and take to the sky. If you're an aerial bot, and at this point we get to see the current state of Cybertron. It's not looking good. It's really run down, really dull and grey. And we hear a conversation between the aerial bots where they're still confused why the Autobots care so much about an organic world like Earth when they could be here on Cybertron. Suddenly, we get round two of the Seeker Jets be the aerial bots at a moment's notice as they are ambushed. But there's a twist on things. Slingshot, Air Raid, Firefight and skydive, touch down and transform, and Slingshot starts shouting towards the Seeker Jets, saying they don't want to fight, they just want to talk. Silverbolt and the Seeker Jets, quite frankly, are stunned by this. Skywarp saying, are those guys crazy? And then Starscream responding with, crazy or even dumber than I suspected. The aerial bots want to know why Prime thinks they're evil. And I say they're as in towards the Seeker Jets, because at this point, they have actually landed and they're about to have a conversation with each other. Starscream says to stick with him and he'll teach them all about the Decepticons. And they walk away together. I can only imagine what Silverbolt's face would have looked like had he have not been in flying jet mode at this point, Andy. But suffice to say, he reports this to Prime... Ironhide is less than impressed by what he has overheard, calls them little twerps, and then Prime says he can smell a trap. I'm really enjoying where the episode is going at this point. It's It's got a nice twist and turns, we're back on Cybertron, and this whole dynamic of what's going on with the aerial bots, There's, they're clearly not on the same page here. I love the way they're escalating this. Yeah, yeah, like it's sort of... It feels a little clunky the way it has to kind of get to that, but it's definitely like the broad idea of what it's doing is kind of interesting. You've got the whole chronosphere thing kind of ticking along in the backgrounds, kind of waiting to to unleash itself on the episode as well. Um, so yeah, the, the, it's an interesting place to, to be in. Um, and it sort of reminds me a little bit of, of the stuff that we saw with sort of Jetfire, like in season one, where you've got that kind of question mark over like, actually who are the good guys here which side should i actually be on in this because i don't really have any context for what this conflict is all about back with the seeker jets if i add you know what i, I kind of wrote this down verbatim so i feel the need to write this do you want to hear star screams pitch for why the decepticons are so good yeah i wrote it down as well because it's uh, Starscream's not the greatest salesman, as it turns out, but let's let's hear what he had to say. Quote unquote. You see, the Decepticons are a swell bunch, and we do have fun. <laughs> he says it in such a kind of forced voice as well. Like, <laughs> we have 
It's like it's like you know when they get like an employee to do a video for his workplace, and it's like they're a swell bunch here, and we all have so much fun. Uh, it's just like mm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking up where you're putting down, Starscream. It was the way he like. I think the way he did it was, and we do have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's great. It's really good. He's telling them this as they're walking towards a structure, of which then Megatron appears to be hiding in a dark room. Laughing at how naive the, the aerial bots are, Silverbolt arrives and chases them inside. We then see them having boarded a very peculiar-looking platform, Andy. I really don't know how to describe it well. I, I've written down it looks like a batch of discs just stacked on top of each other really badly, <laughs> without a spindle to hold it together. Yeah, that's that, that's. I can't think of a better description, so let's let's go with that. <laughs> Starscream tells him to have a seat and he'll continue telling them about everything. Silverbolt runs in telling them, it's a trap, just not in that voice. And that's when Megatron activates the Chronosphere. And we see a giant ball of light trap the five aerial bots. And Megatron's saying, in two minutes, they'll be taken back to before the galaxy even existed. Trapped there forever. At this point, the other Autobots arrived and, and end up breaking the platform. And then breaking it to the point where Prime destroys it. Just calling it out like it is, Prime destroys it. And the aerial bots are then taken back to the beginning of time. That said though, actually, it's got to be said, because the machine was broken, the aerial bots do land somewhere and we, we see them briefly land somewhere. Megatron and co escape, but now the reality of what happens sinks in. That being that, according to the somehow still functioning monitor, given that Prime just blew up the whole t entire machine, the machine estimates that they are 9 million years in the past. The Autobots come to the conclusion the only way they can bring them back is to fix the machine. I say the Autobots can come to this conclusion. Prime, who just destroyed the machine, comes to this conclusion. Just calling <laughs> it like it is. Oops. <laughs> so they get to it, muse to each other about where in time they could be. And this is when they figure out, if they're 9 million years ago, that's before the war, during the golden age of Cybertron. Like you kind of alluded to, Andy, it's a little bit clunky the way this has all come together, but the fact that the aerial bots have been sent back in time is a really nice twist on things and not actually what you would have expected at first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked on this podcast previously about like really enjoying getting a bit of Cybertron history um, and kind of getting it through the lens of the aerial bots is particularly interesting because, as mentioned, you know, they have no context for this. Although, I mean, weirdly, like they're, they're, they were like, they're, they're not completely new. Like they were Cybertronian kind of life forms in the first place, but I guess they just weren't around for like from like nine million years ago, unlike other Autobots that we could speak of. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's, it's an interesting viewpoint and it's kind of like a, uh, from, from a sort of like, you know, Transformers nerd perspective, it's a big like, ooh, moment of you get to see something that you've not really properly seen before. Yeah, I think the other, the other interesting dynamic when it comes to the aerial bots as well is that they are also specifically modelled after Earth-style jets, quote-unquote, even though they were born on Cybertron. So they're actually kind of a very weird anomaly in that sense as well. 
Yeah, yeah, because it's just like, I mean, Silver Ball in particular, like, gets name checked as being like, you know, he was just a low level cargo transport on Cybertron, which sort of does beg the question of, like, well, surely, surely like, all of these guys know the Autobots and Decepticons to a certain degree, but, you know, we'll, 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 we'll run with it for the sake of, of this episode. <laughs> Back with the Aerial Bots. We see them admiring their current location. It's like a, it's just very bright and colourful, very notably gold. So Ironhide wasn't joking when he said it was the golden age of Cybertron. Everything yeah, is uh, solid gold. Yeah, a bit, bit of a literal take on that, but sure, <laughs> it, look, it looks good, so why not? During all of their machinations about how much they like the look of things, we hear Slingshot still being sceptical about the Decepticons, despite the fact they've just been sent back in time by them. <laughs> I mean, just sending them on a nice little holiday. It's, it's you know, totally, to- totally gels. It's, this, this is this is having fun, right? Yeah, I mean, in fairness to Slingshot as well, he does also highlight, I don't think the Decepticons probably caused everything for a war. Surely the Autobots likely did their own damage too. Yeah. And then Silverbolt basically going, the Autobots caused damage because they had to, not because they wanted to. And then, of course, at that point, also then mentions, like I just said, you realise also they did just send us back to the past, right? (laughs) Then they run into a Transformer who introduces himself as Orion Pax, who works at the docks unloading energy shipments from upriver. We then see this occurring inside the whole handling of the cargo and whatnot and we are then introduced to orion's friend dion dion i can't remember how it was pronounced excuse me and then orion's girlfriend ariel we then see three transformers flying in the sky something that we learn at this point in cybertronian history is actually an entirely new concept and something that people haven't seen before so they're kind of awestruck by it the three transformers turn out to be megatron soundwave and shockwave Slingshot's first response to this is, it'd be great if we got to know them. (laughs) At this point, Ariel, Orion Pax's girlfriend, speaks, saying that apparently these robots have attacked an outer city recently, and Dion's saying that she'll believe anything she hears. Orion muses about the fact of, why should they care about stuff like that? That's why the Guardian robots are here, to take care of stuff like that, and then heads back to work. Suddenly, Megatron appears before Orion Pax, and we see their first interaction with each other, ever. Megatron is mentioning that he's looking for a place to store his wares. He's got a lot of trucks, as it were, filled with cubes, some of which look like Energon. Some of them clearly aren't, but clearly are, but clearly aren't. Megatron then asks, what do they actually store here? And Orion responds with, just energy. And upon hearing that, It was exactly what Megatron wanted to hear, at which point he utters the phrase, Decepticons, attack. All of those boxes and cubes that I mentioned on the back of the trucks, they transform, the trucks themselves transform, and we get an all-out destruction fest happening. Orion and Ariel and Dion, at this point, Andy, I think it's fair to say, are outright murdered by Megatron. There's no other way to put this. We saw a murder, a a brutal killing, a cold, dark-hearted killing by Megatron three times in the space of about a minute, if that. And the aerial bots then arrive to see the carnage that has happened, realising they were too late to help. 
Yeah, there's there's no there's no one less aerial bot. Is that? Because our own our own Pax's girlfriend's called Ariel. Oh damn you, Andy! Oh. <laughs> oh, how did I not? Oh, that hurts me deep inside. <laughs> I mean, you would legit have thought that they might have found like a different name for her, just because, like, no, you can't, you can't have the aerial bot sign Ariel the bot. But maybe that's just me. I yeah, maybe I, I don't know why I didn't see that. To be fair. Also, I should note <laughs> at that point it's a commercial break, so we've just yeah, seen cold-blooded I mean... murder, and now we go to adverts to sell you more toys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah. These are the toys you can't buy, and here's why: they're all dead. <laughs> I really liked this whole first interaction between Orion Pax and Megatron, and the way this was all set up, and also just it was a very carefully crafted way to introduce Ariel and Orion as well, and what it obviously ultimately leads to later in the episode. It was just very well done, and if you're watching this not knowing who Orion Pax actually is later on it's a really good reveal of how they do it they really play it close to close to the vest if you will yeah like i mean i'm assuming that this is like the first kind of bit of transformers lore that uses the orion pax name because that that gets used and thrown around quite a lot in transformers lore like these days as like you know optimus prime sort of origin um, but I'm guessing this was the first one, which is certainly one note that I'd forgotten about. Like, I sort of remembered chunks of this episode. I remember that we met, like, early Optimus Prime. I just didn't remember those specifics and that he went by that name. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot that I really like about how how it plays this. Like, I mean, I've talked a bit in the past about, you know, this series actually sort of breaking out and being quite brave with its like politics at times. And this is kind of like a really interesting viewpoint of like early Decepticons where they're clearly, they're doing evil stuff, but the general consensus is like a one, it doesn't affect me. So who cares? And two, but look at the cool shiny things that they can do, AKA they can fly. And there's a really interesting sort of through line there of just like, you know, well, maybe they're doing some bad stuff, but also look at this or, you know, and, and none of this matters to me personally, um, that I think is a really interesting angle that this, this episode takes. Um, it's also really interesting just the way that they play Orion Pax's character because he's not like he is almost the exact opposite of Optimus Prime like I mean he's kind of like sounds a bit like a stone surfer dude and he's just like you know he's just there to unpack boxes and he just wants to get back to chilling out and smoking a joint with his girlfriend or whatever um, which is not really the Optimus Prime that we know and so it's 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 very interesting to see it kind of you know play play along those lines rather than have a kind of like, you know, I mean, you compare it, you know, we'll, we'll be talking a lot about like Hot Rod slash Rodimus Prime in due course, which is sort of a similar sort of turnaround. But even this is a, like a more pronounced sort of growth um, as far as kind of like maturity from Orion Pax to soon to be Optimus Prime. Back in the present day, Megatron is telling the Seekers and Shockwave that they need to attack and not let Prime's crew fix the chronosphere. This is when Shockwave, pretty much verbatim and literally, stumbles upon a deactivated Guardian robot missing a head. And then Shockwave begins to reactivate it. 
We then go inside the, the, the location where the chronosphere is. Wheeljack is hard at work still trying to fix it, but does discover in the process of what he's done so far that there is a recall function built into this machine. So he can seemingly bring back the aerial bots. Back in the golden age, the aerial bots are trying to find a place for Orion to be fixed up and eventually find a repair shop where we find Andy... A young Alpha Trion without a beard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we say young, he still looks pretty old, like even even <laughs> minus the beard, you know. He still seems like he's been kicking around a while. But yes, young young in a relative sense, at least. Yeah. Should also be worth mentioning, Alpha Trion is never actually name-checked in this episode, but it is clearly him. I do also have a question now, Andy, about Transformers biology. Go on. <laughs> If Alpha Trion in later life has a beard, does he grow it? Or does he I just mean, decide, I'm old and rustic, I need a beard? And just add Yeah, to I mean, you've got to assume it just gets installed. It's just like, you <laughs> installed. know, some kind of like... <laughs> you know, there's probably some kind of like Transformers equivalent of a barber where they'll just like, you know, install or remove hair, you know, quote unquote. Barbatron? Like that's... that's yeah, that's my that's my Transformers law. Like, yeah, I'm sure there's some like hair dryer Transformer somewhere, some like um, blue rinse, you know, Transformer or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, I don't know why I got onto this, but I did. Um, <laughs> so at Alpha Trion's workshop, the, the lab is already filled with dozens of injured Transformers based on Megatron's recent activity, but Trion detects a strong spirit, as he phrases it, within Orion Pax, and says he is going to rebuild him from the ground up. Also worth noting that during this scene as well, Slingshot has now seemingly come around on his opinion of the Decepticons on Megatron, basically now despising him and them. So good slingshot. That's all it took. Just carnage and murder. Fair play. Yeah, just just yeah. The the first murder he was fine with, and that's like, oh, actually, maybe maybe there's something in this. Maybe he's not so great. <laughs> Elsewhere, we see a glimpse of the Guardian robot attacking armies of Decepticons. This still being in the Golden Age, it should be said. Back with the aerial bots, Trion is done, and he says that he that the person he has repaired is no longer Orion Pax. He is now the first of our new defenders, Optimus Prime. To say that the aerial bots are stunned is an understatement, but credit to them, Andy. Credit to them. They seemingly know that the, the feasible and faux laws of time travel that all media and culture has created and don't say, we know you in the future. <laughs> or anything like yeah. that. They, they play yeah. it very straight-laced. Yeah, they, they they were also very wise not to mention that uh, that Orion Pax's name would later be used for a video game convention. So you know they keep <laughs> all of their cards close to their chest. <laughs> now at this point, Prime tells us that he actually admired Megatron because of all the power he had, but failed to see how he used that power. We then hear Trion say that he will try and reconstruct Ariel as well, and. But he's going to do it using Prime's schematics. I bring that up, Andy, because remember when... Well, let's call it like this. Alita 1. Tryon then basically says, I think I'll call her Alita 1 when she's rebuilt. So remember how Optimus Prime could interface 
with Alita 1 when Alita 1 was really badly damaged after having basically drained her own life force in the search for Alpha Trion episode. And we were kind of questioning, how is this possible? And whatnot. And there was like the very awkward moment <laughs> that that created. This literally explains that completely. Yeah, it's kind of, it's really surprising how all of that kind of circles around. And, and again, I, I wonder, this all feels very deliberate. So like, I, I assume all of this was sort of plotted in to be like, okay, these are episodes we'll have at certain points in the series and this stuff will kind of join together somewhat. Because um, yeah, like it's really, it's really kind of shocking again, like some of the other things we've had from like a, you know, a very episodic TV show for syndication that you suddenly have these points that actually all interlink in quite a deliberate way. We now see that the Guardians are having troubles with the hordes of Decepticons that we mentioned a moment ago. Prime arrives and is immediately attacked by Megatron, but the shots from his arm cannons are doing nothing. Megatron says, you, who are you? And Prime, as he then fires at Megatron with his rifle, says, Your worst nightmare. <laughs> Great line of dialogue. The Horde are then seemingly overrun by Prime, though we don't see him specifically doing it. Meanwhile, the aerial bots are elsewhere. They're looking on at a bunch of Megatron's, what are referred to as transport drones, it should be said. And But at this moment, they're wanting to try and stop them and are trying to figure out a way of doing it. But in the present day, at this exact moment, Wheeljack has finished the repairs and intimates that, that the sequence to bring the aerial bots back will take two minutes and hits the go button on that. That's when Megatron and co. arrive, also revealing their secret weapon, the partially restored Guardian of Cybertron. Back in the Golden Age, the aerial bots have seemingly now just found and planted a whole load of bombs in the Decepticon energy reserve and blow the hell out of the place because they realise that time is up and the fact that their exit is blocked by a horde of troops also doesn't help that fact. As the explosion occurs though, they are whisked away in the time bubble that we saw earlier in the episode and upon arrival back in the present day, which turns out, Andy, is the exact same building they just blew up, which I thought was a nice little touch there. I don't know if you caught that. They immediately go to help their comrades transform into Superion and take on the Guardian of Cybertron. It's not an easy battle, but the, the Guardian proves to be a bit tougher than expected, but ultimately they do make short work of it and the Decepticons retreat. And as they're retreating, Slingshot has a mighty loud soliloquy, basically going, Megatron, we're gonna get you! I really enjoyed this whole sequence of stuff. And and the fact as well, like I mentioned, they went ultimately went back to the building that they blew up. That was a nice little extra touch there. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's some some good use of like the the whole like time travel mechanic thing. I mean, if you compare and contrast to Decepticon Raiders and King Arthur's Court in terms of, you know, having a, a smart and uh, kind of coherent story. Um, but yeah, it, it all works out really well. And it, it's, a, it, again, this is one of my, like, I assume we, we talked about whether, like, you know, episode like Vector Signal were created specifically because they knew they were going to be on VHS. And I wonder whether this was almost commissioned as, like, the sequel to that that they could either release afterwards or... I think this ended up on the 
might have ended up on the same tape um, for, for for some of the releases. So I kind of definitely be... had this on tape. I'm sure I did. I just don't remember yeah. what it was. Yeah, so it would kind of make sense, you know, to have that as a double bill where it all kind of fits together and you have, like, the key to back to Sigma, then you have this, which very clearly, you know, ties into that. So, you know, I, I wonder whether this was made as a, a, a as a, a follow-up to that directly that would be, you know, released on, on VHS. But, yeah, it, it works really well. With order now restored, we see Silverbolt still holding onto an energy pack from the past. Again, Andy, how does this work from time? Let's not even talk about this. You know, we talked about it earlier. We're not going to say it again. Saying that this that this power source will be good for Omega Supreme. Sure, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Wheeljack then asks what happened to them. And they go on to reveal that they not only learnt about the Decepticons, but also a lot about Optimus Prime. Or should, or should I say, quoting Silverbolt, Orion Pax. Prime immediately knows what they're referring to, saying something to the effect of, it was you five that helped me. And the importance of this entire story is highlighted even more so in that one little dialogue exchange. Though it should be said at this point, Ratchet is just really confused and wants to know what the hell was going on and is going bonkers about not knowing before Prime starts talking about the story. But the importance of this story, Andy, seemingly into the entire continuity and overall story of Transformers is actually pretty mind-blowing. I never realised until now how important this episode is. Yeah, well, especially for a single episode as well, because a lot of the other sort of big you know story points in both seasons one and two are like are multi-parters and that this is just like one episode i mean you know kind of burying the lead like even with the title of it because war dawn is a very like you know a very sort of um like you know normal episode title like this they could have called this the origin of optimus prime or something and mm. like really sold it up so they're kind of like it, the way it just quietly sneaks in like oh by the way this is like optimus prime's origin story is uh, is kind of what makes it so crazy i think and that is the end of that particular episode everyone my very quick thoughts on this, Andy, because I think it's pretty obvious, I freaking love this episode. I remember watching this episode a heck of a lot as a child, not really fully appreciating what everything that happened meant. I always just really enjoyed seeing the aerial bots involved in stuff because they're, they're one of my favourites growing up. But watching this now, with us having gone from the start of G1 up to where we are now, the importance of this is actually pretty mind-blowing to me and I freaking loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good episode. Like, I, I think the, the ending is a little bit on the abrupt side, um, but, like, you know, it, it packs a lot into its runtime. It's all really fascinating stuff. Um, and, you know, this is one of those episodes that, that is sort of way above and beyond just the action stuff and the, hey, look at this Transformer stuff. Like, it's, you know, it, I had totally forgotten that, like I said, that Orion Pax was kind of introduced here. Um, and that, yeah, you know, you actually get some, some proper sort of deep lore and origin story, you know, just even just getting to see like pre-war Cybertron properly is, is kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, it's a really fascinating episode. It's kind of, you know, definitely one of the more thoughtful episodes of, of this series, um, and certainly the second season. So, uh, it is very much appreciated as, as a result of that. Mm. 
So now, before we wrap up this podcast, everyone, let's venture onto the TF Wiki to see if there are some notes worth noting or not. So, first of all, coincidental or not, this episode marks the return of Starscream, as we talked about, after a three-episode hiatus after Megatron... I mean, I think I think the TF Wiki's being kind here, but they say seriously injured him during Hoist Goes Hollywood. He, they murdered him. Let's be clear. Uh, I like this as a note. Uh, Cybertron has a river? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. The aerial bots essentially succumb to that old time travel cliche of becoming their own grandfather as they're instrumental in the recreation of their own creator. <laughs> yeah, this is this is very true. So, I mentioned Dion, Dion, how you meant to pronounce it. The fate of Dion is never actually revealed in this episode. Fans have speculated that he was also rebuilt and reformatted by Alpha Trion into a familiar character with Ultra Magnus and Ironhide being the two most popular suspects. I thought you were going to say Cliff Jumper, but... <laughs> uh, Timelines presented yet another outcome, that he was rebuilt into... Dion. <laughs> Ultimately, Hasbro, hasn't, Hasbro confirmed years later that the character actually died from his wound and was never actually rebuilt into anyone else. <laughs> that, that's just, they're like, leave us alone, we're not making a Dion toy. Like, he's dead... <laughs> Get over it. Also, this is one of only two episodes before Transformers the movie to feature a genuine female Transformer. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I'm guessing they're saying genuine, not counting Alana from that Sea Spray episode. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's kind of harsh, but fair, I suppose. Orion Pax's designs appear to be based on an early Ultra Magnus concept. Uh, distinct from the powered convoy recolor that ultimately formed the basis for that character. Yeah, okay, That's, that that is kind of crazy, but makes sense, I suppose. Mm. Uh, in an interview on the Kid Rhino DVD set, which I believe is the American release for those not aware, writer David Wise says that the meeting between Orion Pax and Megatron happened differently in the original version of the script. Megatron was to blast Orion's arm off and then use it to decapitate him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sumbo feared the scene was too violent had it changed. <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't imagine why they might have thought that. <laughs> Uh, according to David Wise, the addition of Orion Pax to the script was actually a fairly late one. Originally, the victim of Megatron's first attack would have been a generic robot, but the idea that this generic robot was actually a young Optimus Prime was the idea that brought the rest of the episode together. Yeah, yeah, it certainly. I, I don't think it would have worked quite as well had it just been some vague character. It, it has a lot more gravitas to it once you make it young Optimus Prime. Mm. In a separate interview, David Wise stated that, that Ariel and Dion were both originally meant to die in the episode. He had been un unaware of Alita 1 and had not intended for her and Ariel to be the same character when he wrote the episode. The connection was added after the fact by the show's story editors. Yeah, okay, well, good, good on them for catching that and making it work. And a final trivia note. Footage from this episode was used to represent a historical video in Transform and Roll Out, the opening movie for Transformers Animated. Most notably, a shot of Dion shielding his eyes with his hand was used out of context to represent an Autobot saluting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... It is pretty wild, just... Even reading those trivia notes, just... 
even with how important this is in the entire continuity, like, the fact that David Wise said in that comment that Elisa one wasn't even a thing. Like, imagine if that had never come to be after the fact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't have, you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily have, like, done down this episode, but it, it does, it does kind of fit a lot better. And it, this is always the issue. This is one of the things that makes it kind of crazy having that sort of continuity at all when, you know, this is a different writer to Vector Ziggler and, you know, you've got a, a long syndicated show that has a whole bunch of writers working on different episodes. Um, and, you know, we, we've flagged some of the other, like, continuity errors in this show where, you know, they've missed things that happened in earlier episodes. So the fact the story editors actually got in and tied this one up so neatly is uh, is very much to their credit. But from there, everybody, we talk about our next podcast. Once again, another three-episode discussion. That said, Andy, we have still managed to go a heck of a long time just talking about these three episodes, but it's been more than worth it, quite frankly. But next time, we'll be talking about Season 2, Episodes 44 to 46 of Transformers with the following episode titles. Cosmic Rust. Kremzeek. Weird. And Starscream's Brigade. I've, I have no concept for what any of these might be, except for Cosmic Rust maybe the title lends itself quite well, I imagine. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, so, yeah. something or someone is going to be rusting up, I imagine. Yeah, I think that one's going to do exactly what it says on the tin. And uh, of course, given the name of this podcast, we are here for a, a Starscream episode, uh, which uh, I, I am I'm very much looking forward to this one because I think I recall bits of this, but we shall see. There we go, and that will be on our next podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Andy, before we wrap up for this week, any additional notes you've got or anything else you would like to impart upon the world? No, no, not not really. Um, it was uh, we, we we didn't mention in um, oh god, in what episode was that? I lost my notes now. In in Trans Europe Express, I did enjoy the the guy that just called the Decepticons hoodlums. Yes, um, that's maybe <laughs> maybe like underselling what the Decepticons are capable of, but hoodlums is my my Decepticon insult of the week, I guess. <laughs> hoodlums is just a great word. It is a great word, but uh, you know, maybe something you'd use for like a teenager that's thrown an egg at your window, not a Decepticon that's about to blast you into the stratosphere or something. <laughs> I think for my final note, I will say I do find it amusing how, because we normally have like our Transformers bingo card of things that happen recurringly, we've not had to use that a lot recently. No, it's been, it's, it's certainly, and again, I, I think really having, like, you know, the um, Stunticons and the aerial bots, that does really freshen things up, because having those different characters with some different abilities and perspectives, like, it almost feels like a rejuvenation of the show, because it's suddenly not having to scramble around with the characters it's got. It's like, oh, you've got new material to work with, and it it helps it get away from a lot of the cliches that it falls into otherwise. On that note, everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to let us know any thoughts, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at StarscreamsPod. Thank you very much for listening. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we've been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.